0: Church. God is good. All the time. All the time. Amen. Glad you're here this morning. Thank God for his presence in this place. Uh, real quick, if you'd like to turn to the book of Micah, it might take you a second or two to find it. Chapter, chapter 5, the book of Micah. That's yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, Kenny mentioned in Sunday school uh, talking about the Christmas story. Is all through this book, right? It is, and and uh, Friday when we have the uh, candlelight service, you're going to see that because we're going to start clear back in the book of we have several different scripture readings, maybe five or six different scripture readings, and that's where we're going to start from the all the way back to the book of Genesis, the Christmas story. It's all it's not just in the gospel. All right. It's all the way all the way through the Bible. It's all the way through the Bible. Micah chapter 5, hope you found it. I'm going to start at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortress. This is the word of God for the people of God. How many of you had your Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving? Okay. That? That? A couple right there. wasn't yeah. Oh, you did? You had your up do before? How, does anybody here wait till like Christmas Eve? Yeah, nobody? Yeah. Huh? See, see it all, yeah. You do see it a lot on movies. Uh, but we, I think we usually, we usually try to get ordered up right around Thanksgiving time, maybe a little after. Uh, did, uh, I mean, Christmas tree, it, it, what, it's the most recognizable um, symbol of Christmas, right? Um, and have you ever wondered, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, who was the first person that brought a Christmas. That went out and cut a Christmas tree, a tree evergreen tree, and brought it into the house. And why? Why did they do that? Well, just in case you want to know, all right. Legend has it that it was Martin Luther. That Martin Luther was out in the woods one day, walking through the forest, and and he saw a group of evergreen trees that had a little bit of snow on them. He come home and he told his children about it, about what he had witnessed, how beautiful it was. He he cut a fir tree, brought it into the house, and he put candles on it which represented Christ as the light of the world. Legend has it that's where we we come up with this tradition. The evergreen tree, we bring it in our homes, and it's a reminder that Christ is ever-present and that He is the tree of life. So, Christians have been bringing evergreen trees into their house for something like 600 years, all right, As a symbol uh, of eternal life. And all Christmas trees, they have the same shape. They come up into a a peak, right? And that's where we usually put our star or angel, whatever you put on your tree. Now, let me ask you another question Has anybody here ever heard of or saw an upside down Christmas tree? Pam shaking her head. Yes, some of you have. Yeah. Huh? On comics? Well, I'm telling you, I mean, if you want one, you can go to Amazon. And you, and you can pay anywhere from 200 to like $2,000 for an upside down, they, the base will fasten to the ceiling and you can hang it upside down in your home, an upside down Christmas tree. So why? I mean, where did, where did that come from? Who put, who, okay, just think, again, inquiring minds want to know. I went on the internet and I had to go on the internet and look. Uh, hanging a fir tree upside down in the home goes all the way back to the Middle Ages, when Europeans did so to represent the Holy Trinity. The first person to do this, they think, was Saint Boniface. Uh, he was a Benedictine monk, and he used an inverted Christmas tree as a theological uh, teaching tool for pagan Germans. They they say that that's where that come from. Now I'm not sure how many people know that or are even interested in knowing that. Uh, but as Paul Harvey used to say, now you know the rest of the story, right? Okay. So, what? I mean, what other reason? Why would anybody want to put a Christmas tree on the ceiling? Well, if you think about it, you can get larger presents <laughs> under a tree hanging from the ceiling, right? Uh, you, keep If you the live... Out, what's you that? Keep the cats out. <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep the cats out, yeah. Keep the cats out. Water, water, well, I, yeah. I mean, really it would have to be artificial. I'm thinking, of course, I don't, who knows? They probably come up some way to water run. Well, I don't, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, if, you're in, if you live in a cramped apartment, all right, it would take up less floor space, right, the one hanging, hanging from the ceiling. But we all know that those who hold strictly tra- tradition, they're going to say something like, you know, the shape of a Christmas tree, what's it do? It points to heaven, all right. right? So why would you want to turn it upside down? And church, we all know that there are very few things that get people more upset than messing with their Christmas tradition, right? You, I mean, you talk about sacred cow. Listen, I pastored a church long enough to know that if you're going to go mess with the sacred holiday tradition, you better be sure your congregation loves you, Okay? <laughs> I mean, you had better. Believe me. I, I've, I've been there. I, listen, we, let me show you. I want to show you something. I brought something with me. I want to show you this. We had this on our tree for 40 years. That was on our tree for 40 years. Nancy bought this at Hills Department Store many years ago. It did. At one time, it had lights inside of it. You can see how burnt It is. <laughs> Had lights on it. Every year we would put this thing on a tree and say, surely it's not going to work this year. We'd plug it in and every light would burn for 40 years. This thing burned. Nancy, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I'm not sure when it was, she said, yeah, maybe we ought to get another tree topper. Adam threw a fit. You would have thought we had canceled Christmas. You can't get rid of the angel. I mean, it's always been up. He never knew a tree without this angel on top of it. So, we kept it, and two years ago, we put it on the tree, plugged it up, nothing. (laughs) It was dead. We just didn't have the heart to throw it away. We just didn't. So, we don't put it on top of the tree anymore, but it does sit around the house in a prominent place where we can all see it. Listen, yeah, you don't go messing with people's holiday traditions, all right? You, you, just, you just don't. Uh, and, and, and most pastors the churches, they understand that, that these sacred cows, you stay, you stay away from them. You see, for many people, their biggest fear is that, that Christmas won't happen according to plan if you go changing stuff, all right? You just don't go changing stuff. And we've been trained to think that way, especially baby boomers, all right? Because, and I can prove it. All right? What well, I want you to remember, baby boomers, as we were growing up, what were some of the childhood animated Christmas specials that we used to watch on TV all the time? We watched The Grinch, that's the old Christmas, all right? We watched Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and we watched Charlie Brown, and all of these stories had something in common. Someone is out to ruin Christmas, and it has to be stopped. Somebody is trying to stop Christmas from coming, so everything must be perfectly restored in order that Christmas can officially come. All right? We heard that year after year after year. Everything must be perfectly restored. People take their Christmas traditions seriously, Poor old Leon stood up here last Sunday, and he couldn't remember what time the Christmas Eve service started. <laughs> remember how they raked him over the coals? It's been 10 o'clock for decades, You know right? That he couldn't remember that. We take our Christmas tradition seriously. You see, to be honest, we all have our expectations, our hopes of, the, of this perfect scenario of, of what Christmas should be. And if it doesn't go according to the script... Then it's just not Christmas, right? For some reason, we don't want any deviation. We don't want any upside downness, right? To our Christmas. We want it to all be the same. But, church, this scripture that I read to you this morning, this scripture that I read to you this morning tells us that the Messiah came with the agenda of turning everything upside down. That's why he came. The prophet Micah wrote about this coming reversal that was in store for the children of Israel. The nation of Israel had faced, they were facing the judgment of God because of their apostasy. The nation of Israel. Jerusalem would be overtaken by their enemies, the king would be taken to Babylon, Jerusalem was in this sinful pattern. And we all know, I mean, you read Old Testament, they, they would turn to God, God would bless them, and what would happen? <laughs> they would turn her back on God. They were in this, this constant, constant thing of idolatry and corruption. The kings of Israel were devoted to themselves, right, and their own material gain, and they oppressed the weak and the poor and the less fortunate. But even in the midst of all of this, this judgment of God still offers them some hope. Hope of a new king. And this new king was going to turn everything upside down. Now, speaking of this new king, it says in verse 2, it says this: it says, This new king whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In other words, this, this new king that's coming, his beginnings was much earlier than his human birth. And where was he going to be born? Bethlehem, in the little lowly town of Bethlehem. This minor, insignificant little village in Judah. The Micah says, not, nothing important ever come from Bethlehem. No one of any notoriety ever come from Bethlehem. No one of any great worth ever came from Bethlehem. Just little old, unimportant, insignificant Bethlehem. But what does God say? God said this, Thou, for thou, you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Someone is coming from Bethlehem, whose beginnings are much earlier than his human birth. It says from ancient times, from all eternity. Okay? An eternal ruler was coming from Bethlehem. I mean, from Jerusalem, maybe, or, or Samaria, some, some perhaps, but Bethlehem, never. But God says, yes, yes, it's coming from Bethlehem, because with God, you see, church, listen, God doesn't think the way you and I do, right? With God, bigger is not always better, right? It's not. Out, Out of this little town of Bethlehem, God was going to allow to happen something that would only happen one time in all of human history and it would never happen again. A virgin, a pure, undefiled, untouched teenager. Some theologians will tell you that Mary was probably around 13 years old. Some of them will say she was around probably 13 years old. This teenager... Out of this teenager was going to come a ruler over Israel whose origins was much earlier than his human birth. And who was it? It would be God in the flesh. It would be God in the flesh, the author and finisher of life. The one that John wrote about in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where John said, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning." Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all men. This, 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 this teenager, Mary, was going to give birth to the eternal one, Jesus Christ, the divine one, the creator, the designer of all things, the light of the world, Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end was going to come from this teenager. Now, you know what? I've thought about this many times. If I were God, and I'm not, and you ought to thank goodness that I'm not, all right? But if I were God, and I was going to do something this spectacular, I was going to do something this amazing, something that's only going to be done one time in all of human history, I think I would have wanted to do it in New York City, Yeah, and I think I would have wanted to wait till around the 21st century where where you can have have all the media coverage that an event like this really deserves. I mean, I would want Fox News to be there, and I would want Fox News to carry this from the ends of the earth. Right? No. (laughs) Wrong. Why? Because Chuck Swindoll, he wrote in one of his books, he said, God is not into theatrics. And he's not, is he? Not like you and I. Not like I would be. God is not into theatrics. Never has been. Never will be. When we begin to think along those lines, we need to remember Bethlehem, little old insignificant Bethlehem. Aren't you glad that Jesus was born in a manger and not the Greenbrier? Aren't you? Aren't you? I mean, aren't you glad he was born in Bethlehem instead of New York City? This, this, this is God saying. God said, you know what, I'm going to turn everything upside down. The expectations of of power and prestige is all gone. What I'm going to do, God said, I'm going to start lifting up the weak. I'm going to start lifting up the poor and and the insignificant. This new king would lead people like a shepherd. Listen to what it said in verse 4. It said, feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. You know, this is a common, again, that's a common theme all throughout the Bible. Who did God choose as king over Israel? He chose a shepherd boy over Saul, didn't he? Chose a shepherd boy. But God chooses people Still like that today. Um, you know what? Sometimes sometimes it can be difficult to live up to other people's expectations of you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it is. Sometimes it can be tough. It can be hard to live up of other people's expectations of you. I read a story once uh, about this newlywed. They hadn't been married long and he, he was constantly picking on her because he wanted her to cook like his mother. And and she just couldn't get, she just couldn't get the food to taste like his mother would prepare it. He would even go in the kitchen and try to coach her along and try to help her and show her what ingredients need to be put into certain foods. And and uh, he just kept on. And finally, she just she got so depressed and she got so de- discouraged. One morning, she just stayed in bed for the biggest part of the day. She just stayed in bed. Finally, late that afternoon, she decided to get up and and she went to the cupboard and and she got out a, a can of corn, a uh, beef uh, beef stew. She she opened it up, she dumps it in a pot and turns the fire on, and he comes home from work and she dumps it out in his bowl and puts it in front of him, and he took a bite of it and he said, That's it! That's exactly the way my mom used to fix it. <laughs> It can be hard to live up to other people's expectations of you. Listen, church, the Israelites, they're having trouble understanding what God is doing here because the Israelites have this preconceived expectations of what they think Messiah is going to be like, right? We all know that. They they think Messiah is going to come as a mighty warrior. He's going to have a sword in his hand, and he's going to make peace, how? By eliminating their enemies, that's what they think. They believe that the Messiah is going to come, he's going to make a list, he's going to check it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty and nice, and then he's going to, he's going to eliminate this Roman occupation of Israel. And they're all going to live happily ever after. That's what they think. Did that happen? Of course not. Of course it didn't. When Jesus comes, what's he do? He turns their expectations Upside down, hanging them from the spiritual ceiling. Alright? So to speak, going back to the Christmas tree. What Jesus was wanting to do is he's wanting to make room for everybody. He wants to make room for everybody. See, Jesus didn't come preaching, take vengeance on your enemies. That's not what he preached, was it? Jesus said we should love our enemies. Jesus, Jesus didn't spend all of his time with the rich and, and, and the powerful. He spent most of his time with the poor and with the outcasts. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, he said, the healthy, they're not the ones who need the doctor. It's the ones that are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came for the sinners. I came for the ones that were lost, for the ones who need saving. You see this category of of rich and poor and in and out and, and great and humble and life and death, it's all reversed. It's all turned upside down. Let me just throw this out too, because there's a lot of preachers that need to remember this. Jesus didn't come to be served, did he? No. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Did he not? Jesus came to serve. You see, church, he, he turned everything upside down. And that's why the religious authorities, the, the, the traditionalists of that day, they don't like this. Right? They don't like this. They're, they're saying he's ruining everything. He's got to go. We have to get rid of him. Because he didn't come as they were expecting him to come. Then they have him crucified and nailed to a cross just to get rid of him. And today, we really haven't changed a whole lot, have we? We haven't. We really haven't changed a whole lot because we don't want to stray away from the religious script. Just make sure that we sing silent night in the right place at the Christmas Eve candlelight service. I got in trouble for that once. (laughs) You gotta be sure you sing it in the right place. Don't don't go changing things. But I can't let you go this morning until I let you know something. Jesus came, the Messiah came, turned all their expectations upside down, and you know why He did that? For you. He did all of that just for you. A manger-born Messiah, a religious rebel, according to the establishment, a crucified king, a resurrected Redeemer... No one, no one expected Messiah to come this way. And and I really hate to burst your bubble this morning. I really do. I hate to burst your bubble this morning. I know just a few minutes ago that we sang Away in a manger. And I know that one of the lines in that song says something to cattle are lowing, the baby awaked, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I think Jesus cried. I I think, I'm sorry, (laughs) and if you disagree with me, that's okay, but I, I think when he was hungry, he cried. I think when his stomach hurt, he cried. When he was cutting teeth, I believe he cried. When he wanted his mother's attention, he cried. And I believe he's still crying out today. I believe he's still crying out today for justice and for mercy, and for compassion because of the love that Pam talked about a while ago, the love that he has for all of us. And he cries out for those who are lost, stop worrying about celebrating Christmas the same way every year. He wants you to invite him into your heart. In church, I can promise, if there's anyone here this morning and you have never invited Jesus Christ into your heart, if you do that, you will never celebrate Christmas the same way again. You will never think about Christmas the same way again. Your life will never be the same way again. He'll change you completely, totally from the inside out. You know what? You know, maybe, maybe hanging a Christmas tree upside down, maybe that wouldn't be such a bad idea. I mean, mean, if it changed the way we think, if it causes us to look at things differently and remember what Christmas is really all about, maybe it's not such a bad idea. Maybe we could all use just a little bit of upside-down Christmas this year. And maybe that would allow us to start looking at the world and the people from the manger and from the cross never forget, in closing, I'm almost done, a fellow by the name of Mac Macquarie, Nancy and I will never forget this man. He preached a revival at the Ashford Church of God, and he made a statement that we have never forgotten, that we all need to start looking at people as souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. We need to look at people through the eyes of Jesus. If that means hanging a Christmas tree up from the ceiling to get us to change a little bit, why not? Why not? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You, Lord. Father, I know we all have our Christmas traditions. We celebrate the holidays the same way probably year after year. And if we stray from it, it just doesn't seem right. But Lord God, we need to remember what Christmas is all about. It's about the love of our Creator God sending His one and only Son in the most humble situation we could ever think of. Born in a barn, laid to rest in a feeding trough with blankets, no heat, probably no lighting. The most humble way we could think, Lord, that's the way You came to us. And Father, You just turned... The religious establishment on its ears. Father, we thank you for this season. We thank you for the Christmas season. Help us, Lord God. Help us to not lose sight of what this is all about. It's about your love for us. If there is one person here this morning that has never experienced that love, that has never experienced the forgiveness of their Creator, Lord God, speak to their heart right now, this very moment. Your Holy Spirit is is filling this place this morning with your presence. Speak to someone's heart right now that they may turn their life to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.